Okay. All right, let's get this started. Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 86, and we're going to be interviewing Cynthia D. How are you this morning, Cynthia? I'm blessed and highly favored. What about you, Jim? I'm doing well. Excited to do this with you. We've been planning this for a little bit. Mm, yeah. So <laughs> let's get the party started and dive in. Tell me about your childhood growing up. What was it like when you were young? Oh, my goodness. I've never really had a childhood. Um, ever since I was from the time I was three years old until I'll say around six, I was molested from a family member. So I never really had a, a, a childhood. I didn't grow up doing what little girls did, play with dolls and all that kind of stuff. I'm the oldest of six of us. I'm the oldest of six of us. And uh, I was raised in the Jeffrey Projects of Detroit, Michigan. So uh, I, I just, I was just a crook. I, I turned into a crook because of all the molestation and uh, I've been raped, robbed, beaten, molested. I mean, I don't need it all. I, I, it's just only, can I say God? <laughs> only by the grace of God that I'm here today. So, um, you know, up until I was around 11 years old, uh, my father almost killed somebody for molesting me. And I just thought that that's all that men wanted from me was just to keep putting their hands on me all the time. Who so, who was at a young age who was molesting you? Uh, this, this guy. It was a friend of my father's. He was molesting me at a young age. At, from the time I was 11 to maybe I got 13 when I really knew the difference and having what was sex he? with sex meant. Was he babysitting you or something? Yeah, he was the babysitter. Okay. Yeah, he was he was the babysitter. Every now and then, you know, my mother, she didn't go out that off that much. Mama was at home, mama. But when they did have their little time out, he would be the one that watched watched us and uh he told me if I tell him, you know, story, I'm gonna kill him, kill you. You know, same old story that they tell us as children. And you must have been scared. I was horrified. I was just just horrified. So yeah, I can't imagine being in that situation. And then um hmm, I had another uh he was an older man and he was supposed he was my grandmother's brother. And he 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 started the molestation at three years old and he was a collie riding a pony. And I didn't know what riding a pony was, but he was having sitting on his face and just riding, riding his face. So you know what he was doing. Right. Yeah. So he did that until I was like six years old. I didn't know any better. Uh, I thought that was the norm. Every time I went over there, that's what he did. So I thought that's what they do. I didn't know any better. So I went along with that for until I was around six. And I told my mother about it. And it was like uh, she didn't kind of believe me. And it broke my heart. You know, you said she didn't believe you. She she didn't believe. She she was just like her uncle. You know how parents do. Couldn't have done this to me. I didn't know what I was talking about. You know all that old kind of stuff. And it really blew me away that she she wouldn't believe me when I told her these men were touching me. I said they kept bothering me. That's what I used to call it, bothering me. What you mean bothering you? And I tell her, you know, down there, mama, down there. She never believed me. Well, I thought she never believed me. Maybe she just wasn't brave enough to believe me. I know today 
she she didn't know any better. You know, my mother had me when she was 14. So she didn't wow. know any better. Yeah. So she was she, a really, really young mom. Yeah, she was a real young mother. And I, I didn't respect that until recently. I mean, after I got clean, I've been clean now almost seven years. And uh, me and my mother kind of really just made up in 15 when I was starting to get clean because I, I helped all this uh, anger, resentment, and everything towards her. Cause I thought she was, I thought the sun rose and set in my mother. My mother couldn't do no wrong, none, until she didn't believe me. Then it went somewhere else. And from there, I, I just spiraled out of control. You, you know, uh, one thing I did for her though, uh, she she wanted us to finish, wanted me to finish school, all of us. It was six of us, and I was the oldest, so I felt this dire need to do it for my brothers and sisters. I had to do this for them. It wasn't even about me. It was, and nothing ever has been about me until lately. And then it still ain't about me because I give all me to my women, you know. So um, it, it was just, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say this with my mother. Uh, I just loved her a lot, too much. You know, it just sounded very complicated. It is. It was. It was deep. It was deep, and like I said, I didn't really get over it until what am I? Sixty-four now, and in fifteen, I was like fifty-eight, fifty-nine, something like that. Yeah. And that's when we had to talk. And all those years, we just had to talk, and we cried, and it all that together, and made up and stuff. And she just didn't know. I didn't know she didn't know, but she didn't know. I thought she was the mother. Mothers are supposed to know these things. They're supposed to know what to tell their little girls. They tell you, don't let nobody bother you. If somebody bothers you down there, let me know and all that. And when I told you, you didn't believe me. So, wow. When you were, when you were really young, did you tell anybody else or you just told your mom? No, no. I didn't tell, I didn't tell nobody for a long time. I stopped it. I stopped it for so long. Uh, I didn't even believe it happened. You know, I, that's how much I stuffed it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow it to get into my psyche because I believed if I had a knowing what I know now, it would have destroyed me worse than what I was, you know. Uh, so, no, I didn't ever tell anybody. And like I said, when I did tell it, they didn't believe me. So there was no need to tell nobody else because I felt like they weren't going to believe me. So what's the point? I wasn't going to tell them because they didn't believe me. And then it just seemed like it just kept going on and on. It must have been a really, really tough situation. Oh, I can't imagine. It was terrible. And it just kept going on and on, men after men. I'm, I, and I'm surprised I never turned to women. I don't like, I, I never did that one. Because of the pain of uh, being around a man. Every time I turn around, all he want to do is just touch me, have sex with me, and all that old kind of stuff. Take it from me. And all that old kind of stuff. And I just... I just, I don't know. It was terrible. So my best friend, uh, what happened is after that, it was this guy coming around in the projects. He was a big dope dealer in the projects. So he come around the projects and he rec recruiting young kids. And I believe I was like nine when he recruited me. And so we were going mix up his stuff. And so when we mixing up his stuff, we got on masks and everything, didn't have on no clothes, had on masks, 
gloves on your hands and stuff like that, but do you still get the frumes and, and you still take your hand and be wiping your nose because it makes your nose run and stuff like that? And that's how I got started getting addicted off of heroin for mixing up for somebody. And then it made me feel good. How did, he recruit, how did he recruit you? Were you hanging out on the streets or? No, he just, uh, you know, they come out in projects and he would uh, take people to take us to the movies. He, he had his pick. He knew what he was doing. He was a, a predator, you know, and I never did look like I was nine, 10 years old. I never looked like that. I always. Oh, you, uh, Cynthia, you hit the mute button. Look at the bottom of your screen. You muted yourself. I can't hear you. You you have to unmute yourself. There you, you are. Me? Now I can hear you. I can't hear you. No. Uh, Hold on one second. Muted. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. There you go. Let's continue. Okay. What were you saying? Oh, I was just saying before, if I'm not mistaken, that I was thinking that's a really tough situation for someone your age to be in. And I was just, I was always curious how he would find you. I mean, would they? They predators. They, they are just predators. And and it's like in the projects, uh, it's one side against the other. You know, that shit you see on TV, that stuff be real in them projects. Trust me. What do you mean, and gangs going like, against each other? Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. But these, they weren't gangs in my day. They was I don't know what you want to call them, but they wasn't gangs. They they were uh oh gosh. We wouldn't we didn't consider them gangs. Maybe they were. I we didn't consider them gangs. They was something like uh we treated them more like big brothers and stuff. Somebody that could help us out, somebody that gave me money to give my mother so she could have things, you know, so she can help send us to school. So my sisters and brothers can have clothes and stuff like that. And they, they played on us like they was our big brother and they was going to help us out and make sure my family ate and my sister and brother had clothes to wear to school and all that kind of stuff. So that's how they get you. That's how they got me. I don't know about the other people, but that's how they got me because I had this thing about being the oldest and I had to take care of my my siblings and my mama, you know, because my father was an addict too, you know. And uh, mama told us for a long time he used to go to work. He wanted to work in them streets, you know, selling that stuff I was mixing up, you know. So he he my 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 father was my stepfather, but he was the only daddy I knew. And he was uh he was a good guy. You know, he did what he had to do for us. He'll send us to school in the morning and mama would be home for us at night when we got out of school. So it was one of them things, you know. But I was just so curious about everything, you know. So you and, never uh, knew your you never knew your real father? I met my father. I met my father when I was about fourteen years old. Okay. Yeah, when I met him. And so we we had a little Mama, uh, a little daughter, father stuff for a little while. He died in 2006. And uh, so we really never was, you know, my stepfather was my daddy until he uh, tried to molest me one time. You know, him and my mother was going through whatever. That's how I looked at it to make it bearable. 
that he touched me, you know. He used to come in there. He, I, you know what? I never really told my mother in this story, like all the way through like this. Like, like I'm telling you, wow, that's deep. So I'm going to get off. But anyway. Just thinking about it probably brings up some bad memories, right? Yeah. He he used to come in there and tell me how to take a bath, you know, put on cologne, what to wear to school and stuff like that. And I just thought he was being a daddy, you know. I didn't know that he was crazy too. And uh, he took me out to a park one day. And he kept calling me my mother's name. He didn't penetrate me or nothing like that, but he was playing with my stuff and, you know, talking about calling me my mama's name. And I kept on saying, Daddy, I ain't none of mama. I ain't none of mama. I'm sent. And he was like, he was gone, you know, with the alcohol and the drugs and whatever they was going through in the home. You know, it, it got me. So I started running away from home because I couldn't. She didn't believe me again. That was her husband. They had been together since she was 16, you know, and uh, to her, he was uh, taking care of her to the best of his ability for her, you know, being, my mother never had an education. She didn't get her GED until she was like 55 or something like that. She stayed home and took care of her kids. So, you know, daddy was to her I would say to her, since she didn't know any better, didn't know how to do anything, she raised us off of food stamps in the ADC. That's what they call it in Michigan, ADC. Aid to dependent children, that's what they call it. And so uh, I just wanted my mother to have the best say everything. And the only way that was going to happen is that I had to go and do shit I ain't had no business doing. As no child. That's why I said I never had a childhood. I don't even know what being a child is. Never had it. So, oh my goodness. You said you were doing stuff you had no business doing. What kind of stuff were you doing? Oh, God. Selling dope, robbing banks, pimping women. Sold my body a few times. I didn't ever like that. You know, I just couldn't get into that. that what wasn't, age? You know, uh, getting into selling my body for drugs and all that kind of stuff. So I decided instead of doing that, I was going to sell it myself. And then that way I went out there because I had so much trauma with a man touching me that I didn't want nobody jumping up and down on me for no damn drugs, you know. So, no, I couldn't do that. So I just started selling it myself. Stealing it, selling it, it didn't matter. However, whatever it took for me to get it without somebody touching me, that's what I did. I lied, stole, I did a lot of shit. A <laughs> lot of stuff. Do you remember what age you first ever touched a drug or alcohol? I was nine. Nine years old, wow. What was the nine. first thing you ever tried? Heroin. Heroin was my drug of choice. Oh I my was, goodness. Uh, I was snorting heroin from nine until about 11. I started mainlining. 
until around 17, until I had a spiritual awakening. I called myself, I went and barricaded myself in a um, hotel room because uh, I was just tired of going everywhere, you know. And uh, the guy I was with, he was like, he'll go in his neck and his groins all over his body. And I just didn't want to be that girl, you know. And it was getting harder and harder for me to find veins. So I said, well, Lord, just get me out of this. And I went to a hotel and I called myself, barricade myself in a hotel, but it, that ain't what happened. But in my mind, that's what was happening. And a spirit <laughs> came down out the ceiling. And all this white, couldn't see his face. He had gold fleece around around this part of his face and a belt and the shoes and the whole nine yards. But I couldn't see his face. And all he did was just hold his arms out to me. And I don't know how long I stayed in that position because I didn't know if he was the devil, if he was God, or was I losing my mind? What the hell was going on? You know, I just didn't know. So. I finally went into his arms, and I ain't used no more heroin since I was 17 years old. And I ain't picked up that again. Not that one. Not that one. But, see, I was, uh, what they call it? ADHD as a child, real hyper. Ooh, Me too. I'm about I, never, I was never diagnosed when I was young, but uh, mm -hmm. I got diagnosed when I was older. I'm, I'm all over the place. I, even for these interviews, I have to stay. Yeah. Extremely focused. You see me, don't you go in this place there? Well, I'm bipolar. I can't help it. I me too. Oh, look at look at we have so much in common. So I, I'm bipolar, <laughs> I have ADHD and OCD. Yes, indeed. And a mention of PTSD. PTSD. <laughs> yeah, I got that too. I told the doctor where that comes from. That's an army disease. He said, "What you think you've been doing in them streets, fighting a war?" <laughs> you know, I said, "Well, I'll be there." Okay. So that's <laughs> wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm still here today and I'm still sane. And I'm here talking to you, you know, and being able to share, you know. Uh, wow. I went to school for my mother because my mama wanted me to go to school. Well, no, I was to school. So while I was in school, though, she didn't know I was on drugs. I was using since I was nine. She didn't know that. And if she did, she wasn't, it just, it, it behooves me that she didn't know, you know, I'm it a child. Me. It yeah. scares me to think about a nine-year girl, a nine-year-old girl shooting her, or you said you were 11, actually, when you started shooting. I, I was 11 when I started shooting, but I was shooting since I was nine. Because I have a daughter now, so I see it as, just imagine my daughter, I couldn't imagine that. Can't imagine. I can't imagine it. I don't know how, how that thank you. It was very heartbreaking for me, but I just didn't know that she didn't know. She just you know, mother had her own madness she was going through too, 14 years old. Got by the time she was 16, she got four kids, you know, living with a man that was an addict and she trying to hide it, you know, trying to act like he he wasn't addicted to all man altering chemicals as well. But what kind was. of stuff was he addicted to? He's on heroin. He's on heroin also. Yeah. Did yeah, you ever do it together? No. And you know something? Let me tell you something, Jim. My mother just told me this here not too long ago. She told me that she believed my, my daddy got me on drugs. I said, You got to be kidding me. I've never, ever seen him use. 
I knew it. And I would leave him some stuff laying around the house because I know how sick you can get when you don't have it. But I've never seen my daddy use. He didn't play that. No, sir. <laughs> he wasn't going to have that one. But she thought all these years, even after he been dead since like maybe 83, something like that. And she's still been thinking all these years her husband got me started on drugs. Now imagine that. Her having feelings about the man she claimed she loved. You know, not that she claimed she did love him. They was together 30 years. And to think something like that, that your your husband got your daughter on drugs, instead of her just asking me to see if I was going to tell her the truth or not. She don't know if I was going to lie or not, but I would have told her, Daddy, no. He ain't play that. Not at all. Well, that's one good thing, at least about the child. It's it's good that yeah. he had the respect to hide it from you. Yeah. He called himself hiding. I knew because I was an addict, you know, so I knew what was going on. I stopped believing them stories about he was going to work every day at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning and not getting home to 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night. I stopped believing them stories once I got addicted and knew what was going on. So, What do you mean believing? So he wasn't going to work? Is what, you're, what do you mean? No, believing? he was going to work in the streets. He was a dope dealer. Oh, he was selling gotcha. drugs. You know, he ain't never, I, I, I ain't never known my father to have no job, but that's what mother told us. He was working. And we, you know, as kids, we want to believe it, you know, so that was this, that was the story for years. He, he really supposed to have been retired from there before he died and somebody gave him a hot shot. You know? What's a hot shot? Um, That's when they mix heroin and maybe battery acid or something together to kill you. Yeah. And we think it was his cousin. Somebody had something out for him. And then I don't know if it even has something to do with me either. It might have. I, I don't know. I don't even want to even think about that one. They ain't never came up. But I got sent away from home for murder uh, maybe 40, 45 years ago. I was 20 years old. What happened? I was living, uh, I was living my drugs would happen. I had to find me some drugs. All means, all means necessary. I had to have it. And I met this guy who was 22 years older than me. And uh, he was giving me all the things that I didn't have to go out there and do something stupid to get. You know, he made sure I had money. He made sure we had clothes. He made sure my mother had money. You know, everything that I wanted from my mother, he did you know, but he was a uh, he was a big time dope dealer and a hit man, and I didn't I didn't I knew about the drugs, but I didn't know he was a hit man. But he were, and um, they killed him. They tried they killed him and tried to kill me. They uh this was a big case up in Detroit. Uh, they called it the triple beheadings. They cut people's heads and hands and stuff off their body, and then I had to help get rid of them. You know and by the time we got back to go take them somewhere else, the police had found them, and then the investigation started. So, so you were only I, you were twenty years old when all this happened. I was I was eighteen, I believe, when it started. Eighteen or nineteen. I stayed in protective custody for three years because they were trying to kill me before I testified. So, and 
I've been going away from home ever since. What was that like? What was it like being in protective custody? They tried to kill me up there. They had me in a, a precinct for one thing. They didn't allow me in general pop, so they had me in the precinct. And uh, they was they call themselves being good to me because they wanted me to tell it. And I'll, I'll always be telling them, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not going to tell nothing. If I didn't get my way, if they didn't give me no drugs, if they didn't do something to please Cynthia, I wasn't going to talk. And I was the key prosecution witness. So they called themselves appeasing me. But they wasn't. They was killing me. That's what they were doing. They didn't give a damn if I lived or died. All they wanted is what I can tell them about the big guys they wanted to put up, put away. That's all. They wasn't studying me. Told me they would change my life. Told me they'd give me a new identity. They ain't do none of that. I had to get married to change my last name. You know, all that. They were supposed to did it, but they did. I had to get married. I had to... Uh-huh. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so that murder charge. You were charged with that for helping out as far as disposing of the body? I could have been. I could have been just not getting out of penitentiary right now. now, You know, this happened in 79. I probably would have got 25 years, 30 years. I probably would have just been getting out of prison now for being there. You know, I seen it. I seen them. They seen the people's heads and hands cut off their body. I went with my my uh, old man to help get rid of the bodies, you know. I was scared shitless. I was a baby. The hell, I mean, this was some shit you seen on TV, and here I am living. I was scared to death, but did nobody realize that? Wasn't nobody thinking about how Cynthia was feeling. All they was thinking about is winning this case. Now, they didn't even send me to a psychiatrist. They didn't give me no kind of help. They leave a safe open so I can get drugs out of it just to calm me down. Oh, it was horrible. It was just terrible. But I survived. I'm here with you. <laughs> I survived. Yeah. So it's been it's been a journey. It's been mm-hmm. a real journey. And only, only, only by the grace of God am I here today. You know, I never I was raised with the Lord. And, uh, you know, we went to church every Sunday, Baptist church and everything. I had an auntie, <laughs> she used to, every Sunday at 2 o'clock, she used to fall out. She just passed out. And I was one, I didn't want me to, every, at the same time, every Sunday, 2 o'clock, bam, she go out. So I knew of God, you know, from the family. But I didn't have no relationship with God. How can, how can God love me and all that I've been Throwed in dumpsters. I've been raped, robbed, molested, beaten, all kind of stuff. What kind of God let that happen to you? You know, I didn't know nothing about God. I didn't believe in him. All I know is I heard about somebody named Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. I just got to know Jesus. I have a relationship with him now. And I realize now that without him, I wouldn't be here today. I am a total believer and I'm a miracle. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> you know, I am a miracle today. And if it wasn't for him, Jim, I wouldn't be here. And I realize that now. So, I still uh, find it that's terrible that the police 
had no intention of trying to help you out and they were continuing to give you drugs. That's yeah, no, it was awful. They didn't care. They did not care. So and see, and my mother would have had if we didn't know, you know, we were scared, I was scared, they were threatening my family, you know, so you know, we didn't know. We didn't know what to do. We didn't have no no top no high power lawyers like they had and everything, you know. It was just me against the police and the crooks. That's it. I didn't have no lawyer. I didn't have nobody to speak up for me. I had to, I got myself about that shit by running away from their ass too. Cause that's what I did best, running. Soon as I got the opportunity and they took their eyes off of me, I was gone. I escaped from the damn jailhouse when they came looking for me. And they found me after I called them and told them where I was at. So while you were in protective custody, you ran away? I escaped, yeah. I left where it was the holidays, and I went to spend a holiday with my grandmother because they wouldn't let me see her. They wouldn't let me see nobody. Well, my mother didn't want to come to see me because she was scared that they was going to try to kill her and my sisters and my little, they was little kids then. They was babies. They all in their 40s. Now my mom, 50s now. They all in their damn near 60s. What I'm talking about. But they were little kids when I left home. And uh, she was scared. But my grandmother, she would come. Because, you know, mama had me at 14. So, you know, granny raised me. You know, I guess that's where the the strength came from because my grandmama was a strong black woman baby and sat up there and drunk her uh she used to drink uh Seagram's gin about a half a gallon every day and never ever seen her drunk ever <laughs> never seen my grandmama drunk I ain't never seen my mama drunk and she drank, she like, she was, she don't do it anymore, but when she was drinking, she was drinking cutty sour milk and never seen her high. We, we happy drunks. We, we, we start having fun when we get to drinking and stuff. We don't be having all that fighting going on, like at family functions and stuff like that. That wasn't allowed. So we didn't do that. But we all were alcoholics. Everybody. And I, I thought I was the only, uh, addict left. Come to find out, uh, oh, this and this thing too. When this, my baby sister died in fifteen, and I went home for Thanksgiving in fifteen. She died in December, and I found out my brother, who I love to death, used crack, and I liked it. It just because I had like prided on myself on it. I'm the only one in the house used drugs. I took all of that. So my sisters and brothers were saved. Bullshit. Excuse my friends. They weren't. They were not saved. They used two, and it broke my heart. And two of them did. Broke my heart. And I was like, well, God, I didn't have to go through all of that then. I could have stayed home if they was going to use anyway. We might have end up using together. Who knows? But I didn't have to leave home. You know. But that's what happened. So that was that that's what really helped me get clean. When I found out that my brother and one of my sisters had smoked crack. 
I mean, they was they they even told me how bad it was for them, and it blew me away. And right then and there, I said, "No more, couldn't do it no more. I just couldn't." And mm-hmm. I felt. Go ahead. I was gonna ask, did you find yourself maybe trying to be an inspiration for them, where you were trying I to say? I thought, that's what I thought, but that ain't what happened. <laughs> I went through all of that. All of that pain, shame, and guilt, all of that for nothing. That's how I felt when I heard about it. It was all for not. Because maybe, who knows, maybe I didn't have to use as long. I used for 40 damn years, almost 45 years, every day, all day, from hurt, pain. Guilt, shame. Forty-five years. It's a lot. For what? And they still ended up using. So that broke my heart too. Yeah. But look at me now. I got my own company. It's called the Two Sisters Ministries. Hence my sister that was on the line with you. She's oh, okay. my partner. Awesome. She's my, yeah, she's my partner. And we got the place called the Dorcas House. I'm trying to open up a sober living homes for women. You know, maybe I can help somebody like me one day. Oh, I'm doing I got about five clients now. I just don't have nowhere for them to live. And and that's what they need. They need to get off these streets before the streets kill them. The clients I have, they bad. They like I used to be. I got a lot of newcomers. I like the newcomers. So what is Two Sisters Ministries? What do you guys actually do? Give us a, a little background on your company. Uh, we That's what we do. We minister. To off the street. Do you minister. give them somewhere to live? Yeah, we, we're trying to open up a sober living home to get them somewhere to live and change their lives and, and become a queen like me. You know, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, it can be done. I'm a living witness of that. It's been almost seven years and I haven't picked up. I haven't even thought about it. Well, I ain't gonna tell that lie. Yes, I have. You know, you know, we had them addict behaviors and addict thoughts sometimes. And like I was going through all this pain here lately, and uh, my stomach is in real bad shape. And and it comes from using 40 something years. I know what's wrong with my body, and it comes from all them damn drugs. So now I'm mad at myself for all the drugs my body told out. So the other day, um, they went to talking about enlarged liver, water in the spleen, uh, gallbladder, and I got a hernia. And I need emergency surgery. And it triggered me bad because pain makes me use. You know, uh, anytime I'm in a lot of pain, I want to go get high. And I'll be darned. I was straight, I was on my way, this is about, I say about a month ago. I was on my way to the dope man after all these years of not using and helping others not to use. And I was straight on my way to the dope man. That's how cunning and bad the these drugs is. They're gonna get you something. Gonna get you something. You won't be hurting now. And then I had to roll them takes back and I said, well, Lord, if I do that, this is going to fall apart. That is going to fall apart. And most importantly, I'm not going to make it this time. 
I'm going to die. I mean, physical death. I've been living a death for 40-something years, but I'm talking about leaving this world for real. If I pick up, I ain't got another pickup, and I know it. So I can't. I just can't. So the car was going one way, and all of a sudden it did a U-turn, and I ended up back at my house. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Once again, he saved my life. Because I was all, I, my, my focus was straight ahead to the man. I'm going to get me some. Get rid of this damn pain. I'm tired of hurting. Somehow that car came all the way back, circled. I mean, I was way on the other side of town, too. It circled all the way back around to my house, about five, six miles away from where I was headed to. I got back home only by the grace. That's on because I was on my way. And that comes from the pain. That's a trigger for me, pain. Physical pain, mental pain, you know, uh, emotional pain. I I'm good though now. I know how to deal with it. I go to I go to my 12 step meetings. I do my work. I have a sponsor now. I got clean by myself and wanting to help other women. That's when I started getting clean because that's I think that's been a calling God had for me all this time. Now I know why He had me going through what I did so that I can be like this so I can help another woman like me. Now I know, but I ain't know then. I thought he was punishing me or something or something. It wasn't no God or something, but now I know. And um, it's just, I just got a new sponsor. Uh, I think we're on about fifth month. I was almost seven years of not using. So I guess they call it like a dry drunk, you know. Now I do the work. I do my 12th step. I go to meetings. I meet nice people like you, you know. Um, out in my community, I'm trying to uh, hook up with my churches and stuff. Because, like, where I live in Georgia, like, I don't stay too far from Atlanta, but I don't want to go to Atlanta. I'm, I, I'm petrified to go to Atlanta because I don't feel strong enough personally as an addict to go to Atlanta. Atlanta is horrible. It is no place for a person like me, and especially for like the last, I said last four. Well, I've been here with my sister for the last four years, but prior to that, in my journey of getting clean, I was in and out of hotels. I was still doing some addict behavior, stealing, trying to keep a roof over my head, all that kind of stuff. I just wasn't using drugs. That's all. But I was doing everything else that an addict does, you know. And uh, uh, I just got out of that. I just been, I said for the last two years, I've been four, the last four years, uh, I'm working on myself really, really hard because I don't want to go back. I don't want to use no more. It, it ain't nothing in that. It ain't nothing. You're going to keep on doing what you keep on doing. The same old thing, expecting different results is not going to work. And I'm learning that every day. And it's a daily process. It is not easy. And it's one day at a time. For me, it's like one hour. Because I know me. I'm sick. I am. And I know it. I don't need nobody telling me I'm sick. I already know. So that's why I have to stay on my guard against the enemy. I just have to. If I don't, I'm dead. That's just bottom line. I'm dead.
So that's my story. <laughs> that's great. That's great. <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing all that with us. You're welcome, sweetie. So my last question. Mm -hmm. My last question is, do you have any advice for people listening and watching? Yes. Get a sponsor. Go to meetings. Find you somebody you can trust. And get this shit out of you. You know, you don't have to hold all that stuff by yourself no more. Uh, get in them rooms. Find you somebody. Now, some of them rooms ain't no good either, though. But you got to lead you in the right direction. And and whoever your higher power is, get connected with them. I choose for mine to be God. So that's how I win. You know, just do them things. And, uh, and they'll love you until you can love yourself. That's what they told me. So that's what I'm doing. I'm still doing it. I go to meeting every day, two, sometimes two or three times a day. Uh, talk to my sponsor. She put me to work. She just got, I'm just now finishing my first step again. And that step there is, it took me six months. And it ain't over. You have to surrender every day. Every day you have to do surrender to this disease called addiction. Don't let it beat you. Don't let it get you down because we do recover. Yeah, I'm a living witness to that. That's all. <laughs> all right. That's a great place to wrap it up. So for everyone listening and watching, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to the channel so you'll see when we upload more videos. Also check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit. We also have a Facebook group and page. If you go to the group, you'll see under the events tab that we do nightly Zoom meetings every night at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. And that's all I have for today. So until next time.